Hello, welcome to the West Side Podcast. This is where we'll post some of our audio from our sermons on Sunday, and we're so glad that you're here. West Side's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus step by step. We hope you enjoy, and thanks for tuning in. Hello, good morning. Uh, back to Ephesians we go. Ephesians 3, why don't, you, why don't we open up there? Uh, a number of you have, have asked, and yes, we are going to continue. We're going to work our way through uh, to the end of the book of Ephesians. We're going to do it uh, in five weeks over the course of five messages. So um, today we're going to look at chapter 3, and then um, in the final uh, four weeks, those will be kind of divided up between March and the first little bit of April. There, we'll um, we'll take on the final three chapters. Um, Ephesians kind of divides up uh, pretty cleanly: first three chapters, last three chapters. So today we we finish out uh, the emphatic close to the first half of this letter, and um, there's. <clears throat> uh, there's a tendency uh, among uh, some to uh, to like to take really short passages of scripture, just a couple of verses at a time, maybe even just a verse at a time. You hear these stories of pastors who take ten years to preach through the Book of Romans and and whatnot. And um, I, th- there's a place for that, absolutely. But I, um, I really enjoy taking bigger chunks, uh, taking. Uh, some time to look at bigger swaths of scripture altogether. There, there's a lot to be gleaned from the details, from the nitty gritty, like word by word, syllable by syllable, in some instances, uh, study of scripture. There's so much to be gleaned from that. But I am convinced more and more as I look at our society today, and particularly how Christians are interacting with our society today, that we need a good dose of the big picture. We need a dose of the big picture of what God is doing in the world. And as we become more intimately acquainted or reacquainted with the big picture, the gospel, who Jesus is and what God is doing for us in Christ, among us as individuals and also as a community, as we become more acquainted with that bigger picture, then the details can fall into place. But sometimes when we focus just on the detail level, it starts to skew the bigger picture. And so I, I really like cherish this opportunity to take bigger chunks of scripture together. In Ephesians 3, uh, it's a perfect passage to get to take, uh, it's a perfect chapter to get to take all in one bite. Uh, it, uh, it swells and swells and swells towards the end. And I hope that by the end you kind of see like this is, this is a good thing to get to see all at once here. Um, if you were here last week, Tom gave us a, a great uh, a challenge to a life, towards a life of faith, an encouraging word towards the life of faith. And there was a whole lot of, of wisdom uh, packed into uh, that, that message. One of the things that he said that, uh, that stuck with me, that kind of um, got into my heart and my mind this week was this. He said, to see what could be. In other words, to look with the eyes of faith. To see what could be, sometimes we need to get away from what is or what has been. Sometimes we, we just like, need to get, we need a little mindset change. 
And what we have in Ephesians 3 is, I think, uh, a helpful... I think it's a helpful word for us on this topic. I'm not going to say that it's necessarily a how-to manual on how to like just get to a place where we where we move on. We like our how-to manuals, but sometimes we just need a need a word. Sometimes we just need to be reminded to be stirred. And I think this passage is moving is trying to move us towards an imagination that is crafted by God and what God alone can do. Will we let our minds, our imaginations be crafted by that? Because here's the thing, and here's where I want to begin this morning. It is far too easy for us to go about life with a faith that is hijacked by our idea of what is sensible. It is far too easy to go about life with a faith that is hijacked by our idea of what is sensible. I mentioned a couple weeks ago that, that kids uh, are expert joy havers. Um, and we can be discipled by our kids in this way, right? That we, we, can learn, we can learn the ways of joy from our kids. And the same goes for imagination. Kids have imaginations that run wild and just expand into this world and you're like I have no idea what's going on but I see that I know this whole thing is happening and our our impulse is to say well yeah that's a fictitious thing that's something that's just going on in their mind but then you watch them play and it's like that is not fictitious like there is something real going on like there is a whole world happening in my son's room some sometimes that I'm just like oh, I, I will observe I don't I, <laughs> I don't know the kids have this, this penchant for letting everything that happens in life sort of feed this imagination. Whereas as we get older, sometimes everything that happens in life pulls back our imagination. It's been said a number of times that, that as we get older, our, we sort of get to a point where our imagination is a little bit less active. And I don't necessarily think that that is true. I don't think we have a less active imagination the further along we get. I think we just end up with a muted imagination. I think we, I think we get an imagination that gets so mm, self-focused, so inward, that we can't help but let the things that we think about uh, drift toward, fixate on that which I don't have, that which hasn't happened for me. It's easy to develop a faith that's hijacked by uh, our sense of the practical uh, because, uh, I mean, it's well-founded. Our our hesitance, our resistance on this level is well-founded. We've all experienced past disappointments. We are sometimes scared to hope. We wonder if we can risk expectations because we've, we've seen them unmet before. We've let desires fritter away and not be met in the way that we want. Our resistance is, is well-founded. It's, it feels well-earned in, in some ways, right? I've been through X, Y, and Z. I, 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 I want, and so my faith now, it's not that I don't have faith, it's just my faith is, is going to be within this box of stuff that I know to be true. And what I want to just say as we begin this morning is I believe that God is on the move. 
I believe God is here and active. And are we going to be the kind of people that, that let our imaginations, that let our minds be crafted by the stuff that God has not yet done? Rather than just boxing in and, and letting God like check some boxes on, on, the, on the list of things that we see uh, as making sense. Stuff that makes good sense. God is on the move. And to see where God is at work, we sometimes need to give up our tendency to settle for the practical. So let's dive in to Ephesians chapter 3 here. Ephesians 3, starting in verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. This chapter, this letter is written by a prisoner. Written by someone in uh, in custody. And Paul wants to make this point clear. He's talking a little bit about, like, he's trying to start this chapter out by saying who he is, and he immediately interrupts himself. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, and then he interrupts himself to the tune of 13 verses here. There's, uh, uh, he diverges here for a moment, but it's all relevant. Listen to this. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. Throughout this passage, Paul is pretty clear about his own like understanding of his call to be one of the primary voices for voicing this absolutely absurd mystery that God has now revealed. We call it the gospel. He is, the, he is one of the main vocal uh, mouthpieces of, of the gospel here, and he, Paul understands his, his role as such. Verse 4, in reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Notice the word mystery again. Which was not made known to people in other generations as it, is now, as, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the Gospels, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. So Paul understands, Paul puts himself in the, in the bigger picture of what God has spoken through the apostles and prophets. He understands his authority. It, it, it's easy for us to, to see like, oh yeah, Paul is an apostle and he's like writing these letters and we understand them as scripture. But it's pretty significant that in that moment, Paul wasn't just writing a, a willy-nilly letter to the, to the Ephesians. He was, he was writing as if one who had authority, one who had been appointed by God. And here is the message that he wanted to, to get across. This was the end of chapter 2, right? The cultural before and after of what, what happens when Christ is involved, when Christ gets into your life. Here's what happens. The Gentiles are now three things, heirs together, members together, and sharers t- together. Ooh, that was fun. <laughs> And the Lord spoke. All right. <laughs> Heirs together, members together, sharers together. Why? To make one body. Why? Because what we, when we see two, God sees one.
Hey, hey, there we go. No pops. All right. When we see two, God sees one. Where we see division, where we see two groups that could not, in our mind, possibly get together, God sees an opportunity for unity. We see two, God sees one. We see division, God sees unity. This is what happens in light of the gospel. This is what happens when Jesus comes on the scene. Paul continues his digression. Verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Paul sees his entire ministry as a gift from God. A gift from God. Although I am less than the least of all of these apostles. It's fascinating, right? There's a, there's a bit of a, an irony that Paul is at once speaking of his authority as an apostle, his opportunity to preach the gospel, and yet not, he, he goes, not for one minute do I want you to think that I received the gift because I was deserving of it. Let's let's take a step back and remember that I I'm not the least of the apostles. I'm the least of the least. I'm the I am less than the least of. What we're going to see in these following verses is Paul swell in this hyperbolic language about the love of God. And yet it's not not so much hyperbolic as it is just true. <laughs> It's an expression of the love that Paul wants to see at work in the Ephesian church. And this is where it starts. He says, I am less than the least of. I understand the power of the love of Christ because it got me out of where I was. It got me first and I want it to get you too. Although I am less than the least of all of the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. A, uh, an adjective that's not really found in, um, in Greek literature outside of Scripture. It's used just a couple of times in the New Testament. It echoes a word from, from the book of Job, actually. The unsearchable riches of Christ. The boundless riches of Christ. That which is unable to be Searched beyond searchable. And I love this in a Google-fied world, right? Where we can search anything, right? We can look up any fact we want. Or so we think. We can look up just about any piece of information that is... Uh, that we don't know. And there's a power to that, right? Andy Crouch talks about us... Uh, in our in our modern world, living in a, in the superpower zone, we there's um, there's something invincible about being in a conversation, coming to a point with somebody where it's like, oh, I don't know about that thing. I can look it up right now, and we will know in a matter of seconds. There's something powerful about that, right? Paul says, the love of God doesn't work like that. It is. Boundless, The riches of Christ can't be contained to a search engine. When we feel like we have the world at our fingertips, and we often do, when we feel like we have the world at our fingertips, 
it is harder to conceive of what God might want to do beyond our reach. Can grasp it all. All with a little rectangle in our pockets. And yet the work that God wants to do blows that out of the water. You can't just look it up. It takes a sensitivity. It takes a willingness to see that which God is doing. The boundless riches of Christ, and his, which he has now made plain to everyone, the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. This is echoing. We should be hearing at this point in the, in the letter, we should be hearing themes um, sort of come back and come back and come back time and again. The fact that God has been working all of this stuff from eternity past up until this particular point. It's one of, uh, it's one of Paul's uh, refrains throughout, throughout the letter. That which he has done from eternity past. Turn with me to, to chapter 10. Uh, nope. Verse 10. <laughs> His intent was that now. So here's where it's all building toward. Anytime we come upon a phrase like his intent, something that says like, here's the point of the passage, we should start to pay attention extra. Here's where it's all building. His intent, God's intent, God's point in all of this was this, was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. According to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, there's our phrase again, union with Christ, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. Do you see what Paul is saying here? Paul is saying that the church, no, this is not a command. Paul is not saying you as the church, go make known the wisdom of God to the, to the rulers and authorities. And, and Paul, Paul uses this phrase that, to the rulers and authorities a number of times in Ephesians to talk about the bigger spiritual battle, the spiritual realm, like to, those, to the onlookers, to our current situation. And Paul says the, the church is the thing that displays the wisdom of God more clearly than anything else. He doesn't say, church, go try to display the wisdom of God. He says, no, church, when you are who you are, that puts on display the wisdom of God. Why? Because the wisdom of God is seen in relationships that don't make sense on a human level. The power of the gospel is seen... When we, when we do reconciliation stuff, when we say, I forgive you in moments where it doesn't feel quite, quite possible on a human level. The wisdom of God is on display when God's spirit shows up in ways that we cannot explain. Paul says, through Christ, 
through the blood of Christ, through the work of Christ in each and every one of us. God is putting on display his perfect wisdom for the world, for the watching world. When we cower in faith and let imaginations um, be dictated by what has been and what is, when we put God in a box, we are saying, I think it's my wisdom that should be on display to the world. I think the way that I, that the lens through which I view the world uh, is sufficient for me and for, for others. When we let our human standards uh, for who we can get along with dictate our vision for community, or when we let our human standards for like our inner vitality, what a flourishing life could look like, when we let human standards seep in, we settle for our wisdom rather than displaying the wisdom of God. We settle. It's not always that we have disordered desires, and sometimes we do. It's sometimes that we just merely have muted desires. So Paul has interrupted himself for 13 verses here to, just to say, hey, I am a prisoner of Christ. And oh, by the way, here is this ministry that I have been given, this message that I love more than anything that I want to then share with you. And so we get to verse 14, and it starts the exact way that verse 1 does. Back to the point here. For this reason, look at the top of verse 1 there. For this reason, I, Paul, oh, here, we're, get, we're getting back to the point here. Verse 14, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, just like we just sang, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know the love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's like a, a, a worth reading everyday passage right there. Whew. Yeah. And, and do, you know, do you hear how he starts? From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Why is that significant? It's significant because of what he was just talking about. It's not just one group of families that is now belonging to God. I kneel before the Father whom every family derives from. Every single Family. We might take that for granted, but at this point, the, the world was still, uh, it kind of functioned that it, religiously, it, you, you had like local deities. You had gods that you worshiped like per region, and God X kind of presided over the spot over here to the east, and God Y was over here. God. Paul says, I've got one God over all. 
he does not know geographic boundaries. He knows them, actually. He put them there. He knows, he knows some of those. But he does not operate based on them. This God, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives his name. And then listen, listen to the stuff. The glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and established in love. The, the common thread throughout all of this is that it is the love of Jesus that is making possible this, uh, this wisdom this wisdom telling that the church is supposed to be about. To be rooted and grounded in love is to have a life so fixated, to have a hearts and minds so um, cleaned out of the stuff that gets in the way of us understanding the love of God. Rooted and established. Why? Because there is no firmer foundation than the love that Christ has for us. Every other foundation that we try to build our lives upon crumbles at some point. But the love of Christ is going to be there tomorrow in a way that nothing else will be. It will be there when we wake up on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday. We have so many faux foundations. So many fake little things that, that garner our attention for a little bit, that, that make us feel good to get through the day. So many little things that, that eat away at our heart over time if, if we let them. But there is one firm foundation, and it is the love of Jesus for us. That you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp what? This very love. This love that is your foundation. You know what you need? You need a, an act of God in your life to even begin to understand the slightest little nugget of this love. We're not, we're not supposed to read this as what part of God's love is wide or what, which part is Long, which part is high, which part is deep. It's all together. How wide, how long, how high, how deep. It is beyond, it is boundless. It is always going in every direction. You could chase after it one way or another and you will never get to the end of it. This is the boundless love that is supposed to be our foundation Listen to all the different pictures that Paul uses. It's supposed to be our foundation. We're supposed to be rooted and established in it. But it's also supposed to be the stuff that fills up the cup to overflowing. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And here's the danger of having imaginations that are so self-fixated. That are so caught up with what we do or do not have. What we, what we don't need. We don't always need we approach God so often as if we can get something from him. And we put God to the side for a little bit while we're cruising along and we're doing all right. And then, and then something breaks and we go, God, can you fix it? And Paul is like, we got to have a way bigger vision of what God is doing in our lives than that. 
We need a God whose love is going to fill us up to overflowing. What we don't need is another fix from God. What we need is God himself. What we need is a work of the Spirit in our hearts. Know this love that surpasses knowledge. I hope that every time you Google something this week, you go, ha, I know this thing. I will never fully know the love of Jesus. I will never fully wrap my mind around this deep love. And we should put ourselves in the way of it. That's what we do when we come to church. We should put ourselves in the way of the love because we're going to think more about the love of Jesus now after singing those songs about it than we would have if we had not been here yet this morning. That's part of, what the, that's part of the practical stuff of why church matters. We've got to get our butts in these seats just because we cannot, we cannot muster a thought that goes, God, you love me so much. Sometimes we cannot muster that on our own. We need a brother or sister to tell us. We need someone else to help us sing that song. The rest of the book of Ephesians is more how-to stuff. It's more like practical stuff. But it is all tied to you having to be committed to a place, to a church, to, a, to the body of Christ. And as we do that, we can ask ourselves, how do I, how do I craft this imagination? It's, it's not... It's not fancy. <laughs> and it's not terribly complicated either, though it is not easy. It is a simple like daily obedience, a simple daily walking in all of the stuff that we're going to learn in 4, 5, and 6. There is a particular life that comes with this. There is a particular kind of life that is required of us. <laughs> the love of God is not just a pampering love. It is a perfecting love. It strips away that which we, those unhealthy things that we like to linger on. It calls us to be certain kinds of people, but it also empowers us to be certain kinds of people. And then, before we can even catch our breath, you and I, in, in, our, in our sensible, practical, efficient American mindset. We get to the end of that beautiful prayer that Paul just prayed, and we go, okay, all right, well, now what do I do? But before we can even catch our breath, Paul explodes to another level. Verse 20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Right? Yeah. At, at the very moment that we want to settle back into our comfy lives and try to figure out how do we get God into the stuff that we're already doing, Paul says immeasurably more than everything that you ask or imagine. Anything you ask or imagine. What are you asking and imagining? When you think about your life, when you think about this community, when you think about Eugene, when you think about the bigger call of God upon you in this world, 
Do you ask or imagine the stuff that makes sense? That's not a bad thing necessarily, but I want to prepare you that God is up to more than that. So as a closing exercise, what I, what I want to, to do is, is ask two questions. I think it's helpful to take a step back and look back sometimes. When we think about these, these moments where we want to get outside of the box that we've put God in sometimes. To, to be people who ask and imagine to a, a greater degree. I want to ask a question from the past. What is an area of your life that can only be explained by the work of God? Where has God busted the box before? Maybe it's something personal. Maybe it's relationship. We could, we could sit here all day and talk about the stuff that is only explainable because God has gotten involved. What is that stuff? What has marked you to this point? Take a moment and stop. And, and before you ask for another thing, say, praise God. Yeah. We've got to remember back before we, we think forward sometimes. And then here's, here's the question I want, to, um, want you to let fester over the course of this next week. How will you let the love of Christ expand all that you can ask or imagine. How are you going to do that? How are you going to let the love of Christ become a little bit more of the foundation of your life this week than it was last week? How are you going to let the love of Christ blow your sensibilities out of the water? How are you going to let the love of Christ undo your tendency to settle for the practical? As we walk through the final three chapters of Ephesians, we're going to get good stuff to hang on to that I think helps answer that question. But I also think it's, it's good just to take a reflective moment and Maybe it's just this moment, maybe it's a day, maybe it's a week to think like, well, where's, where's the stuff where I've just settled for the box that I've put God in? And where is he asking me to ask or imagine something that where can I dare to hope that he's going to do something bigger than what I'm expecting? Because that is where the wisdom of God gets displayed when our wisdom gets trumped. That is where the love of Christ becomes most abundant abundantly clear. Uh, I'm going to close uh, by praying. Uh, and I'm, going, I'm not going to um, reinvent the wheel here. I'm just going to pray Paul's prayer over you, over us, over Westside. Um, so as I pray, worship team, you can go ahead and, and come on up. Um, receive this. Maybe put your hands out. Let's, let's do that. Let's, let's put our hands out. I would do that, but I've, I've got one hand doing a thing. So um, let's receive this. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family 
in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you, Westside, with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, Westside, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you, Westside, may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.